What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's the time. There's Naomi here. Stop, pull back, let God be God, trust him for the outcome. Can we do that? I mean, the strongest trees are the ones that get the most wind. Why? The trunk grows strong, the roots go deep. It's all because of the wind. God allows the stress that we're going to grow stronger in our life. You know, if our lives were such that, you know, you know, on Friday, the Loomis armored car pulls into our driveway, backs into our driveway, we open the garage door and dumps a bunch of money in there, we, you know, we'd have no stress. We'd say, who needs God? God? Who needs God? Yeah, I got all this money. Like it says in Proverbs 30, verse 8, Proverbs 30, verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies, vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, just to write them out. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? Or lest I be poor, steal, take the name of my God in vain. See, if we're on an easy street, if we're on an easy street in life, we say, who's the Lord? Who's the Lord? Who's God? But God allows these seemingly no way out problems in our lives so that we'll never say, who's the Lord? We'll never say that. I mean, because the, the, the stresses, they push us to God. And we should view our problems in life as opportunities to, for us to be like Naomi and do what we can and then master the art of committing. See? Problems or opportunities. You got problems, you got opportunities. Boy, do I have opportunities. All right. <laughs> now, we can only do this. We can only do this, and Naomi could only do this if we are convinced that the Lord is our shepherd and father. We can only do this if we're convinced that the Lord is our shepherd and father. You know what's important to see about when the Lord says, you know, when we say, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, or John 10 John 10, 11, John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. Or Father, from the Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore pray you, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what's really important about saying 
father saying shepherd, about him accepting the term, the title, shepherd and father. What's really important is that he wants to. He wants to. He's not pushed into being our shepherd and father. He chose to be our shepherd and father. You know, he didn't say, well, I guess someone's got to take care of them, and I really don't want to do it, but I have to. You know, not at all. That's not the Lord. The Lord is saying there's nothing else that I would rather do than to be their shepherd and their father. And, and only when we're convinced of that will we, run, will we run like kids into the arms of our father and say, Dad will take care of it. Dad will take care of it. That's what Naomi is telling Ruth here about the what next. He will tell you what to do, what thou should do next. Naomi is saying to Ruth, Dad will take care of it. The Heavenly Father will take care of it. That statement is a statement of victory over anxiety. And that's when the peace comes. Peace comes when we turn to God and commit the future of what's going to happen to him. And that's what we see you're doing, which he said he's going to tell you, verse 4, what thou shalt do. See, Naomi's goal is to bring Boaz out, draw Boaz out to declare his desire to marry Ruth. And Ruth's obeying Naomi is nothing short of Ephesians 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee that thou mayest live long on the earth. Ruth was not looking for a husband. She was not looking for a husband. She was just wanting to obey Naomi. That's a wonderful pattern for a believer in how to find a spouse, not to have as the first intention of finding a spouse, but just the first intention to follow the Lord. See, it's important to see this. The most famous part in the book of Ruth is her declaration of loyalty. That's in chapter 1, verse 16. In chapter 1, verse 16, this is Ruth making a declaration of loyalty. And I'm going to read it to you now. And I want you to think in your mind about who, how, who Ruth was making a declaration of loyalty to. Who Ruth was saying that she was going to be loyal to. Listen. And Ruth said to Naomi, and Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, Naomi. For whither thou, Naomi, goest, I will go. And where thou, Naomi, lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people, Naomi, shall be my people. Thy God, Naomi, shall be my God. Where thou diest, Naomi, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. That was Ruth's proclamation of loyalty and attachment to Naomi. Naomi, not a husband. Ruth did not say to Naomi, well, I'll stay with you as long as you can, and then you'll transfer me to a husband. No, she's saying, I'm going to be with you till death do us part. You know, when Naomi says that, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be married, that showed Ruth has no intention of getting married again and being separated from Naomi. When Ruth said to Naomi, the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me, Ruth did not leave any room for saying to a husband, till death do us part. Ruth declared that her loyalty was to Naomi, and she had no interest in marrying again. So when Ruth obeyed Naomi, it was an act of obedience of love to Naomi. She had no sensual interest. She had no romantic interest in Boaz. Ruth had a love for Naomi. And so now in verse 7, where it says she came softly 
We see her obeying Naomi. She waited till Boaz was asleep, and she cautiously steps, very cautiously, not make any noise. Don't wake anybody up. Don't wake no, any man up. Don't wake a Boaz up. And she gently goes and uncovers his feet and lays down. I don't think she was sleeping, but anyway. And now we see that Ruth has laid down in the feet there. In verse 8, it came to pass at midnight that when the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, the woman lay at his feet. Boaz is sleeping so nicely. He's so nicely. He feels something warm on his feet, you know, something soft on his feet. What is this? He's startled. He's afraid. Maybe it's a skunk. <laughs> or a warm snake or something like that. So he's jolted out of his sleep. And what do I feel at my feet? You know? And then it says, when it says he turned himself, it means he bent over to see. And that is the shock of it. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. You know, what's going on here? And Boaz asked the question, Who art thou? It's dark. He can't see who it is. And Ruth gives the most beautiful answer to this question when she says in verse 9, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. I am Ruth, thine handmaid. It doesn't say, she didn't say, I am Ruth, the Moabitess. I mean, she's abandoned that title of being the Moabitess here, and now she sees herself as incorporated into the people of Israel, and Ruth has listened to Naomi when Naomi said, and now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. She accepts that she's been accepted as one of the handmaids since Boaz has put her there. And now we read that Ruth said, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. A very unfortunate translation. Totally wrong. Totally wrong, and there are two problems with it. First of all, the first problem is with the word skirt. It's not the word skirt. The Hebrew word is a very important word, kanaf. It's the Hebrew word kanaf. Kanaf, let me show you where that's used. In Exodus 19.4, Exodus 19.4, when God said, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles' wings, kanaf, and brought you unto myself. I bear you on eagles' kanaf. Kanaf does not mean skirt. Kanaf means wings or feathers. And so the first problem with the translation is this word. It's, it's, it's wings. The second problem with this translation is the tense of the verb. It's not in the future tense, it's in the past tense. You have done this already. The verse should read, thou hast spread thy wings, or kanaf, over thy handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. See, when Ruth used the word kanaf, wings, oh, she's talking Boaz's language. She's talking a lot of people's language. But she's talking Boaz's language because that's the word that Boaz used in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. When Boaz said to Ruth, the Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Under whose, a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose kanaf thou art come to trust. See, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, they're familiar with this word kanaf. It's very important in God's economy, because God uses words kanaf to express his care of his people. They knew the importance of the tabernacle over there. Well, it was first in the wilderness, now it's over there. Okay, they, he knew the importance, why? Because of Exodus 25.20, Exodus 25.20. You go and you see it, the tabernacle. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, their kanaf, covering the mercy seat with their wings, kanaf, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. The kanaf wings of the cherubim 
covered the mercy seat. What was the mercy seat? That's where man met with God. That's where man spoke to God. That's where God spoke to man. That shows the importance of the kanaf to protect the intimate fellowship between man and God. That word kanaf is important for us. Grab that word. Grab that word. It's important for us because when we meet God every day, as we, we are relying on God's kanaf, his wings to protect our daily quiet time. That's a protected time as far as God's concerned. That's kanaf protected. Now, they all knew, all of them, you know, the Baruch and Boaz and Naomi, they knew not only the bottom of the kanaf is important, you know, you look, but the top of the kanaf also is important. And it says in Deuteronomy 32.9, Deuteronomy 32.9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. He found them in a desert land, in a waste-howling wilderness. He led him about, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, and spreadeth abroad her wings. Got the picture? Baby eagles, kanaf over the baby eagles. Taketh them, beareth them on her wings. See, God said, look, God said, look at me like an eagle. Look at yourself like baby eagles. Because when the baby eagles look up, you know, when the mother has spread the kanaf over her, when they look up, they see the great bottom of the kanaf wings protecting them, and the little baby eagles say, boy, am I glad for those kanaf wings protecting me. You know? And when the baby eagles, they gotta be, because they're, they're, they're helpless, they're vulnerable, they, they need, okay. And then the second need comes, is when it's, it's time to move, we gotta move. The baby eagles say, I can't fly. The, the mother eagle says, get on my kanaf. And so then they needed to be transported. The baby eagles find themselves on the top now of the kanaf of the eagles, and they say, boy, am I glad for these kanaf wings. They're transporting me now. And God told the Jewish people, I want you to look at those eagles as they do that, as they're, as they're both protecting from the, and they see the bottom of the kanaf, and they're transporting, they see the top of the kanaf, and I want you to see a picture of what I did for you in bringing you out of Egypt. He said in Exodus 19.4, Exodus 19.4, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, how I bear you on eagles, kanaf, and brought you unto myself. So that means the Lord wanted Israel to look back on their experience in, in Egypt, which was an experience of horrible torture, struggle, concentration camp style, extermination plans that were in effect. He says, and you had no way to get out, and there wasn't gonna be no D-Day, and there was no army's gonna come to deliver you, but I came, I came and I brought you out when you were so vulnerable, you were like baby eagles and you couldn't fly and you needed to move and I brought you out on the, on the kanaf of the eagles and the precious truth is I brought you to myself. Boy. Now, Ruth was saying to Boaz that she knew the Lord had spread his kanaf over her when Boaz spread his kanaf, his wings over Ruth. In other words, she just feels, Ruth feels like a timid little chicken under the wings of a hen, and she knows ultimately she's under the wings of God as her protector, but immediately she's under the wings of Boaz. And she says, you've done that. You've spread your kanaf over me. Now, in a very indirect way, but strong enough, Ruth is asking Boaz to marry her, to perform the duty of a near kinsman, go out redeemer and marry her. Now, Ruth would have never have asked Boaz to do this unless Ruth already knew that his heart was hers. She knew. Now we see how Boaz responds to Ruth. 
in verse 10. He said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness, kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men. Get that? Thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. First of all, this was very risky for Ruth. This was very risky. She could have offended him. She had a very easy offended What? You got a lot of nerve? Come in here? What are you doing here? Asking me to marry me? You're out of your mind. She could have offended him. But Boaz was not offended in Ruth's overture. And that was a relief to Ruth. In fact, Boaz is really overwhelmed with three feelings. He got a first feeling, relief. He has feelings for Ruth. Okay. Second, gratitude to the Lord for Ruth. Third, admiration of Ruth, because he knows, he knows that when she used the term Goel, when she used the term kinsman redeemer, that she had respect to the, her husband's memory, her deceased husband's memory, and she now looks for his inheritance to not be lost in Israel through Boaz. So he knows also she's an attractive woman. She's a young woman. She's an available woman. But Boaz asked God to bless her because she has shown this kindness to the house of Eli Melech. Nobody else is going to carry on the name of Eli Melech. Nobody else is going to preserve the inheritance of Eli Melech unless she has children. And so by ensuring that she has children, she is preserving the inheritance of a family in Israel. And the fact that Boaz now brings up the issue of age, he says, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, oh, there it is. You know, Naomi was right. You know, Boaz really was in love with Ruth, but he was restrained because of his age. He wouldn't declare his love for Ruth. But Boaz, now he looks at Ruth and he correctly reads an anxiety. So here we are back at the anxiety. The anxiety in Ruth. And why shouldn't she be anxious? Because, you know, he's brought up this, this thing about there's somebody else. So, so now she doesn't know who she's going to end up married to. I mean, all Ruth wanted to do was stay single. She just wanted to stay single with Naomi. And now she might be married to who knows who. And I mean, Ruth is thinking to herself, boy, better to be single than to wish I was. You know? <laughs> and Boaz sees that anxiety. And so Boaz says to her in verse 11, And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. Boaz sets her heart at ease by telling her, don't be anxious. And that's what we battle anxiety. You know, I had jury duty this last week, and a jury duty was an employee who was suing his company that he worked for. I sat there and I thought, hmm, why am I here? <laughs> anyway, so uh, I wasn't chosen on the jury, but I thought, I I'm going to go back and sit in the court. I did. And so the, the attorney tells the court that his client has been suffering from clinical depression because he described it as an overwhelming, increasing feeling of sadness and darkness and fear. You know, Boaz has told Ruth, don't be anxious. And first, he tells her, because I prayed for you, Ruth. I prayed for you. And then he told Ruth that he's going to do all that she was asking him to do and become as the right of the kinsman redeemer. And then he says, Ruth, all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. See, the word that Boaz used here for virtuous was chayil, chayil. And that's the same word that's used in Proverbs 12.4, Proverbs 12.4. A chayil woman, a virtuous woman, is a crown to her husband, but she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. When it says ashamed, it makes he that makes pale in the face is as rottenness in his bones. In other words, she embarrasses him. So when Boaz called Ruth a chayil, virtuous woman, he was saying that she was going to make him 
not pale in the face, but very, very assured and confident as opposed to being pale in the face. All of Proverbs, the, the whole section of Proverbs 31 is all about who can find a chayil woman, who can find a virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies. The whole section of Proverbs 31 describes a chayil virtuous woman, and if you read that, you see that woman is nothing more than resourceful. She gets up early in the morning, she buys, she sells, she clothes, she feeds. She's resourceful. And Boaz knows that he's found a chayil woman, a virtuous woman. She's resourceful. And so he's going to do the best to try to get her. Now, Boaz had a good reputation in the city, and so did Ruth. And it's interesting because he says, you know, the whole city does know, the city of my people know. Okay, it's not the word city that he used there. It's the word gate, gate. As a matter of fact, this is what Boaz is saying. All the gate of my people knows that you're a virtuous woman, which is kind of hilarious because what he's really saying is that, Ruth, if the gate could talk, what the gate has heard, he's going to say, you know, you're a virtuous woman. Believe me, I've heard it from so many people. The gate would talk like that. So in other words, when we look at Ruth, what he's really saying is that Ruth has a reputation of being a no-nonsense woman. She's a no-nonsense woman. And now Boaz raises this issue. He says, now... It's true that I am thy near kinsman, in verse 12. Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. Oh, so it looks like Boaz has been thinking about this also. Yeah, How does he know there's someone who's in front of him who has the first right of refusal? Because he also has given us some thought. Now, for Ruth, this is a big problem. This is a huge problem. You can feel the anxiety of Ruth. What? I mean, the, the hardest thing for me, I don't know who I'm going to end up being married to. You know what she feels like? Ruth feels like she's the coin that's been flipped up in the air, and she's tumbling, tumbling, tumbling. Is she going to land on heads or tails? That's how she feels. And Boaz tells Ruth that, well, just sleep in peace. <laughs> and he restates the whole thing that's driving her crazy in verse 13. Tarry this night, and if it be in the morning, he does performs the part of a kinsman, fine. But let him do it. But if he doesn't do it, then uh, I'll do it. And then he says, the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. He has just stated the very situation that's driving her crazy. Ruth was happy to not marry anyone, stay with Naomi. Then Naomi tells Ruth, you got to go where Boaz is at night. This makes her anxious. Then you got to sneak in at night, which she did. That made her anxious. If Boaz wakes up and is frightened, that makes her anxious. And then Boaz tells Ruth that there's another person who is in front of him, has the first right of refusal. That makes her anxious. Then Boaz tells Ruth that if he marries her, that's fine with him. And if not, then he'll marry her. That makes her anxious. So she's got a lot of anxiety inside of her. And Boaz then tells her, well, now lay down and have a good night's sleep. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. How is she going to have a good night's sleep? How is she going to have a good Because Boaz tells her three words. Three words. It's very easy for us just to pass over these things. And you say, I'm going to give you three words, Ruth, that are going to calm all your anxiety. It's going to be better than any sleeping pill you could take. It's going to calm you down totally. And the three words is he says, the Lord liveth. As the Lord liveth, the Lord liveth. He's saying, Ruth, the Lord is alive. The Lord is alive. And because he is alive, you can have peace. Because he's alive, we can all have the same peace. The Lord liveth. Verse 13, lie down until the morning. Great advice from Boaz for whatever is giving us anxiety and taking our sleep away. The Lord liveth and lie down until the morning. Right? Boaz should have gotten this copyright, not the Gaithers. <laughs> because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Life is worth the living because, just because he lives. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for these words of Boaz, these words of Naomi, great words, Lord, for us, just to trust you, just to rely on the fact that you live, just to count on your kanaf over us. Lord, thank you for showing these things through your servants. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.